Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up. The bulk majority of the podcast today is going to be rookie superlatives, looking at the most surprising rookie, the least surprising rookie, best individual game, most likely for regression, all of that good stuff. We're also going to touch a little bit at the top about Chris Olave, the Ohio State wide receiver, opting to go back to a Columbus, back to Ohio State, not going to the 2021 NFL Draft. A first-rounder on our board going back to school will be an interesting conversation. Let's get it. We had an Adam Gase-like start to the podcast, but just before recording, ripped a little smelling salt to get things going here. On the Wednesday morning pods, when we get into the studio at 7, you got here at what, 6.30? I was on here at 6.45? Yeah. You, you got to do something, man. And I didn't have coffee this morning. Like, someone, someone's got to get me going. Yeah, I, think uh, the smelling I can't believe work. you didn't have coffee. If I rolled in here and did the pod without coffee, it would suck. And so I, you better bring it. That's why I I, I'm trying to you know, challenge myself, you know, because I drink a lot of coffee. I drink more than most people should. And I'm trying to, you know, see if I can work without it. And I'm going to try that today. Here we are. The smelling salt Never has works. me going, though. It's a short high. It's a short high. I'm feeling it. Feeling pretty good. No stories to start today. We haven't got enough votes yet. Do you want to hear about my mom on the most wanted list? Do you want to hear about my dad crashing the 65 Mustang? There's another one about how I got 24 stitches in my head from my How many sister. crashes does he have? What's his? How many crashes does yeah, he have? At this Too point. many. So I had, as a kid... I've had more than six cars. My dad has totaled four of them. Holy shit. We can get into each individual story, but the first one, my first car I've ever gotten was the 65 Mustang, which is absolutely incredible. Cherry car that he drove once under my possession. And uh, the crash story will save. You got to get your votes in. DM me on Instagram. Leave a, leave a reply in the tweets. What do you want to hear? I got the stories. What do you want to hear? We'll get into it maybe on the mailbag episode or save it for next week. But let's go ahead and talk about Chris Olave. I was bummed out, dude. I didn't have a tweet to say. I didn't say anything about it. But Chris Olave going back to school sucks. I think he could be like a legitimate first rounder yeah. playing in the NFL at a high level in 2021. Going back to Ohio State's great. We don't know how good that offense will be without Justin Fields pursuing a championship, whatever it may be. And I still think there's opportunity for his stock to get better like how much better is it going to get for Chris Olave I think we've already seen a lot of what we want to see from him yeah I was actually more surprised I wasn't surprised that Chris Olave necessarily came back to school I was surprised there weren't more guys like Chris Olave who were kind of like oh I only played a handful of games this year if I come out and ball out if I do what Devontae Smith just did I work my way to the top 10 picks now I'm not gonna say he's gonna be Devontae Smith but I, I was surprised there there weren't more, and maybe it's because we'll see some more of the seniors come back to school that didn't have to necessarily declare to be eligible for the draft, but then they have until March 1st to say they're not going to the draft or whatever that stupid rule is. But, yeah, Olave, I'm not sure he goes that much higher is the thing. I agree. Like, I'm not sure he comes back to school. He's not going to be Devontae Smith getting all the targets there. They have a ton of talent. They, Jeremy Rucker came back to school. They have Garrett Wilson there in that offense, and you're not going to have Justin Fields throwing the football now. Now, I'm not going to say Ohio State, uh, who's the quarterback in their pipeline. I, his name's eluding me right now. But they're still going to have probably a quality quarterback, but you're not going to get much more of a better situation than Justin Fields. And 
Garrett Wilson's eligible for 2022, isn't he? Yeah. So hey, Garrett Wilson's probably going to go ahead of Chris Olave. I mean, this guy is like legit. Garrett Wilson awesome. is insane. And I, they have another former five star there, two former five stars that are going to be working their way into the offense with, with that. I think it's going to be interesting because he's not going to get pumped to targets unless you see, and you're not hoping for it, but unless you see like a Jalen Waddle like injury, because Devontae Smith doesn't do what he did if Waddle doesn't get hurt early in the true. season. Yeah. Like he's not going to have the target share that he had. So. It's an interesting one. I feel like there's obviously more to it. You probably want to talk to Olave about why he's coming back. Maybe he's finishing Columbus his is degree. Fun. Columbus, Columbus is, is fun. I, I do like Columbus. Let's go ahead and jump now into the rookie superlatives, Mike. You had this idea to do this for the pod. I wanted to touch on Seth Galina's mock draft, but it's just unadulterated trash. You didn't Dude, like we, it I was going to say, I didn't even look at it. Sorry, Seth, if you're listening. Oh, my gosh. Can we highlight a couple of it before okay, we dive Okay, actually highlight a couple of it. I want to get into just... Let me, let me dive into this real quick. But we want to do also the rookie superlatives here and touch on, you know, some, some awards Ty from Bell the season. on this rookie class and our thoughts on it. Yeah, before, yeah So let's uh, jump through. Seth Galina really heavy draft. published this one on Monday. Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. Surprise, surprise. Jets picked Justin Fields. He had the Dolphins taking Devontae Smith, which is... He's, he's on the Fields train. Over he, he is on the Fields train. He does like Fields a lot, which yeah. I think is good. He has Micah Parsons going four to Atlanta. Bengals taking Pnei Sewell. Jamar Chase falling to Philly at six. Christian Barmore to the Detroit Lions at seven. A little high. A little high. He Carolina just, Panthers. watched the national championship game. <laughs> Carolina Panthers picked Trey Lance at eight. I think that'd be a good situation for them. Yeah. Because Teddy Bridgewater's so. still there. Like you, and you're still paying him a decent amount of money. You don't have to start Trey Lance right out of the gate. And you can continue to work up that offense. And if Joe Brady really likes him, you have a really good chance of keeping Joe Brady following the season. Because you don't know if he's going to be a head coach this offseason mm-hmm. or next. But I think adding a good quarterback gives you more opportunity. I think that's a very, if we're talking about reasonable landing spots for Trey Lance, that's a very likely one. Patrick Sertan to the Denver Broncos at 9. Dallas Cowboys grabbed Caleb Farley at 10. Not going to go through every single pick here. Trying to find some notables. A lot of these are kind of like I've seen this before, Seth. Where's, where's the juice? I will say... I go to the mock drafts portion of the pff.com. His isn't even listed there. Oh, even pff.com that's on me, hates actually. I, I actually control that menu. I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> add that PFF there. PFF hates the mock draft. <laughs> that's on me. That's on me. I'll add that in a second. Sorry, Miami Dolphins picking Jason Owe at 18, I think, is is high, which is good. He has Olave going to the Bears, RIP. Oh, this is the most absurd one. I texted about this. Brady Christensen at 21 to the Colts. He's <laughs> like the 80th ranked player on our board. How much of Brady Christensen has he watched? I don't know, but that one is wild. Where that's he come wild. up? He at least like buy the book and then curveball. That's a that's side a arms one. Brady Christensen graded really well this year for BYU, but did not face elite competition. No. I would not be putting him at the top in the first round, but maybe he sees something we don't. Kyle Trask to the Steelers at twenty four would be would be interesting. Kadarius Tony at twenty five to the Jets. I like Kyle Trask to the Steelers as a fit. Twenty four, maybe not, but yeah, I do. I that would be a very the Jags yeah, taking Kadarius Tony at twenty five. Can you imagine Tony and Lavisca, and yeah, then Chark, and then you add Trevor Lawrence Trevor at the Lawrence. top? That'd be hot. That's what you have to do. I've done a lot of mock drafts where I've looked at the Jacksonville Jaguars and grabbed Trevor Lawrence at the top, and then went defense at that second pick because I do yeah. like some of the value at corner and at linebacker and other places. But I wonder if they go defense free agency heavy again, unfortunately. Like, but like they have so much cap space, the Jaguars. This is a very good free agency class to grab secondary pieces. I've said this that before. A, I was going to say, this is a great free agency class to have a ton of cap space because mm-hmm. you're a unicorn if you do. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people have a ton of cap space. Teams are going to be out of the free agent market altogether, a lot of teams. And then there's going to be guys, like it's going to be, I don't think people realize it's going to be a shit show come free agency. You're going to have guys signing 
I think the amount of one-year deals you see this offseason is going to be record-breaking in terms of guys just there's not going to be teams with cap space because I think they announced it's going to be 180 million or in that yeah. neighborhood, which when it goes backwards, about third, a cap goes backwards about 30 million from what everyone was budgeting out in the future for, they got to make cuts somewhere. And the Jaguars are one of the teams, Jaguars, Jets, uh, who else is up there? I think Bengals got some cap Bengals, space. They, so there are some teams out there that are going to clean up on these guys like, uh, these mid-tier free agents that their teams just cannot keep because they do not have the cap space. So uh, you can sign probably, you can re- really retool your team overnight this offseason, I imagine. Quinn's always got to chime in with the Bengals nugs. You, mm-hmm. ha- you have to respect it. He also has, I, and I, I've been growing on Aziz Ojulari as a back end of the first round type of guy. He has him going to the Tampa Buccaneers at 29. I like Aziz Ojulari. He really reminds me of Yannick Ngakwe a lot. Oh, really? A lot. A lot. That's is a that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, that's uh, like it's and Gakwe has been really productive as a pass yeah. rusher. I I had a, it cracked me up when Yannick Ngakwe uh he like quote tweeted a Mayock take on him saying he's probably, you know, just a pass rusher only after he like his second year or whatever had a breakout when like he really still is just yeah, a yeah, pass yeah. rusher only. <laughs> like he really I think still he has like the worst run, run defense, stop but... win rate or yeah. Run, yeah, one run defense win rate or something of any edge defender in the NFL since he entered like he has not been a good run defender but, but like that doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah like no one's they're not paying him for that so all right that's uh, a little brief touching well I don't like that expression that was us a summary like of Seth Galina's mock draft a little summary of Seth Galina's mock draft you can find that at pff.com let's dive into these rookie superlatives starting with best individual game performance this one, I think if you go strictly off PFF grade, you have the one, but I have another one that I'll add as well. I'm going to go with Chase Young against the Carolina Panthers because in terms of dominance, it was the most dominant performance. He did not lose. Now, the caveat, he's going up against Trent Scott, backup tackle for the Carolina Panthers. Whatever. Sack hit, three hurries, and just like in the run game, unstoppable. It looked like Chase Young last year at Ohio State, the dominance we saw, and... He was asked to advertise, man. I mean, like he, he, if you're going anywhere else, in my opinion, you're not going the most dominant one. You're going maybe like for stats or something else. Oh, wow. So, oh, uh, gee, here think? we are. Here we are. <laughs> Justin Jefferson, week three, same week. Is it? No, no, no. Different week. Well, week, week three uh, against Tennessee. It was the highest graded game we'd seen from an offensive rookie this season. And he owned three of the five highest graded games by an offensive rookie this year. And I think you have to add into it, too. It was the game he went for against Tennessee where he went 7 for 9 for 175 in a TD. Um, it was also the first game that he played more than half the snaps. Like, it was his first, like, yeah. legit game starting in the NFL. And he blew up and had literally the highest graded game we saw from an offensive rookie. Chase Young had the highest for a defender. Um, but Justin Jefferson, highest for an offensive player. I just didn't want to pick the same guy. If we just pick the That's same right. guy this entire freaking episode, it's going to be lame. So I picked Justin Jefferson, dominant performance, and really impressive performance What really put him on the radar and had people scratching their heads yeah. why he wasn't playing in weeks one and two. Yeah, it really was. It was like this guy, OBC Johnson, didn't even look like that in college. Why is he <laughs> starting over Justin Jefferson? So, yeah. I mean, he would have broke, broken the rookie receiving yards record and then some if you had this guy involved in the offense in weeks one and two. Like, he got to 1,400 yards by being an after being an afterthought in weeks one and two, which yeah. is again really really impressive for Justin Jefferson. Worst individual game performance. Yeah, we're gonna do good and bad here. That's gonna do good because I don't like to hate too much on prospects because they're kids. But once you get to the NFL, you're getting paid. You can take the criticism at that point. This one, 
Unfortunately, Shane Lemieux, the dreaded bagel in pass protection, a 0.0 pass protection grade against the Browns in week 15. I think that's the worst part of it. It's against the Browns. It wasn't like you were 0.0 going up against Aaron Donald. You got Larry Ogunjobi giving you like this arm over. Ogunjobi's good. He's fine. But it's it's not 0.0 bad. Have you ever heard Neil Hornsby, the founder of PFF, who is from the UK, who has a very thick accent, try say to Larry Ogunjobi? Can we get like a clip of it? And I'll try it and work on it. I'll talk to him about it because it is incredible. Larry Ogunjobi. And he listens to the podcast, so he'll hear this. But okay. I think he does pronounce Larry Ogunjobi pretty well. Um, the other thing I wanted to add is, you know that clip that kind of got viral because Seth Galina said Justin Herbert can't, can't play. play. And you just talked about like, don't be negative about prospects. Mm-hmm. I feel like every time we get too negative about a prospect, we should play that clip. He can't play. He just can't play. Like that's what Seth Galina literally says. I feel like that'd be uh, a great um, homage to I'm not take. like worried to look dumb though that's no, not, no, that's no, not no. why I don't want to skew negative it's just like just no that's what I meant either but that, like, that is being very black and white negative about a prospect yeah. like you telling a prospect was, who's going to go in the first round that, that he just can't play and he's talked about it to me too he's like yeah I, I could have worded that better yeah you could have because like that's being overly negative, overly black and white about yeah. guys that have a to- every single player in this class has a range of outcomes, you know, yeah. and, and he can't play probably wasn't on for Justin Herbert. But here we are. My guy for worst individual game performance. I mean, again, Shane Lemieux, a 0.0 pass blocking grade. I've never even seen that. But I wanted to highlight Patrick Queen. He had three of the six lowest graded single games of any for any rookie defensive player. And I, but honestly, I don't want to I don't want to bag on him too hard, like playing linebacker in the NFL as a rookie this year, was very difficult. You know, so many of the lowest-graded games this year, lowest-graded players, were at linebacker and corner among the rookie class. And I think rightfully so. Like, I think Patrick Queen has a very good opportunity to bounce back next year. I still think he has a lot of tools and a lot of traits that you want to... He will develop and be better. You can bet on Patrick Queen being a better player in year two, and I would not say he's a bust by any means. He, he just... He got a ton of minus ones, and it reminded me... A little bit of like Devin White's rookie year. He got a ton of minus ones because he would just completely lose a guy in his zone behind him. Mm-hmm. And like that, it's bad. It's very bad. He didn't get minus ones because he couldn't stick with guys. Yeah. Because like, he wasn't, you know, because the tight end was just running past him down the seam. No, he got minus ones because he just wasn't like comfortable on that offense yet. That wasn't really an issue for him at LSU. It was just a lot of those were because, you know, rookie. So we're, we're not running like I think he I think you'll see a much better player in year two I mean Devin White didn't grade well as a rookie Devin Bush didn't grade well as a rookie I think all like some of these like highly athletic linebacker prospects where you expect them to come yeah. in and be like instant starters instant impact players he has had splash plays and so has Devin White exactly. in terms he of getting a lot of plays that you're just not a lot not maybe him and maybe two other linebackers in the class would have exactly so and I mean that's honestly a lot of what you're looking for at linebacker it's very difficult to play linebacker well in the NFL there's only like two or three guys in the NFL that you would call good year over year maybe just one now yeah. like Bobby Wagner is probably the only line and Eric Kendricks Bobby Wagner and Eric Kendricks are probably the two linebackers I'd say every year Fred Warner I'd start to throw Fred in the Warner. conversation but okay there's just not a lot of guys though where you're like this guy next year is going to be very very good like there are it's very it's volatile from a grading perspective because I think it's a very difficult position to play in today's NFL it's why most teams aren't playing with more than two on the football field anymore you don't see four off-ball linebackers three off-ball linebackers on the field anymore it's two yeah. maybe and even the best defenses in the NFL and I've gone on this rant before but the best defenses in the NFL don't have absolute all-stars at linebacker yeah, I mean, the Rams had maybe the worst linebacker duo in the NFL. Micah Kaiser and Reeder, right? I mean, that was who they started in the playoff game. And like, uh, Kenny Young also, I think. Uh, but 
Yeah, I, I would all. I mean, I think you sold a few guys short there in terms of linebackers Probably. around the NFL. I think Demario Davis is still good. I think Darius Leonard's good. I think kill me. I think Levante David's good. But there, <laughs> but you're right. Like, there's not a lot of guys that are super reliable to be productive year in and year out because it's. It, it, like I said, it's just it's also very scheme dependent. Like we saw Corey Littleton go from one of the highest graded coverage linebackers in the Rams defensive scheme, and then he goes to Paul Gunther, and he's literally one of the lowest graded linebackers in the NFL. Like they well, asked him to do a ton in that defense, and he's played completely. But I think different. that's like the same. I don't want to say it's just, it's like the same as uh, Patrick Queen. It's like the learning curve. You have to know everything about the, a defense to play linebacker well. You have to know like literally everything that's going on in a football field. And so if you're thinking about that. Even for you're a second, slow. you're not playing. Yeah, exactly. And I think Patrick Queen at LSU played fast. It was one of the first things you noticed. Like he yes. was moving at snap every play. With the Baltimore Ravens this year, no pre- no preseason, abbreviated offseason, Zoom meeting practices. No wonder he's playing a little bit slower than he was at LSU. I think, yeah. you again, you expect him to get better. Um, looking now at our next superlative, most surprising good performance from a rookie this year. The most surprising for the whole season. Yeah. Has to be Justin Herbert for a number of reasons, but like the biggest of which was this was better than the guy we saw even last year in college. That doesn't happen at the at a lot of positions. I don't know what happened with Tristan Worse at tackle, but it certainly does not happen at the quarterback position. You are not you do not play better against NFL level defenses than you do against college level defenses. It just never happens. So that one has to go down as, in my opinion, the most surprising. So that is the obvious one, but I don't want to pick the same guy. I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson, a guy that we didn't have as the number one wide receiver in this class. We didn't even have him top three. And he ends up coming and breaking the rookie receiving yards record, looking very good doing it as well, and winning it on the outside, winning from the slot. I think he is, we're going to get to this later, I think he is bound for some regression in year two. But Justin Jefferson, I think, was a big surprise. No one pegged him to be the best receiver his rookie season, especially even in the Minnesota Vikings situation. Yes, he was coming in, and there was some Stephon Diggs targets to take over, but he wasn't even starting week one or week two. Like No one expected Justin Jefferson to have the year he had, and he did with Kirk Cousins and company. I think it was really impressive. I would argue, though, that like our question marks of him weren't such that like this was it wasn't terribly surprising that once you told me that like he was capable of getting offline scrimmage consistently against NFL level quarterbacks then I was like that then he's very good like everything else is very very good and that wasn't that surprising to me I think guys more like like Tristan Wurst being the best off right tackle in the NFL year one is more surprising to me uh and there were maybe a couple other but I, I don't think Justin Jefferson would have been my second on that list, I'll just Fair. say. That's what, all, that's all I'm saying. Tristan Wirfs, Tristan Wirfs being better. I mean, where was he for us on tackles? Was he fourth? He was second. Third? Second. So, I mean, but I just say rookie tackles in general don't play like the best right tackle in the NFL. That doesn't happen ever. He looks like an absolute monster. Like, he looks like that's Hall of Fame trajectory when you play that well as a rookie. So Wow. That's a, that's a, that's that's, a, I mean, that just is. Like, that Quentin Nelson looked like that at guard, but we expected it. Tristan Wirfs looking like that at tackle. Didn't know I don't no one expected it or now else it would have been the first half off the board. I feel like you get a full understanding why the Bucks wanted were so aggressive trying to trade up and get him. You remember seeing that video were, behind the scenes? Okay, I was thinking about that the other day and I couldn't remember and then I couldn't find the video. Was were they going specifically for him? Or were they just saying we need a fucking tackle? 
It's a good I don't question. Remember I, I, I'd, ha- I'd have to think that they were trying to go get him, okay. right? Because I think were the I don't other know tackles that, off I think the they board? just wanted to get into the tackle class. Maybe they were. Maybe, yeah, maybe right. That's why right. I, I remembered it as, but I might, I might be wrong. Most surprising rookie this season on the bad side of things. So not the best, not the most surprising good one, most surprising bad one. This one, to me, not even close. Jeffrey Akuda looked unplayable <laughs> at times, which... He was dead last in the NFL in yards per coverage snap allowed. And if he was like, and if it was like he's giving up a lot of yards, but then making out a, a lot of plays, you could forgive him. No, he had one pass breakup and one pick all year long. He just was not, was not ready. Now, has any cornerback played well in the Detroit Lions scheme the last three years? No. That's going to, we're going to maybe get to a, one of the superlatives involves that a little later on. But, to look that bad was very stunning. To say. I mean, yes. he was not supposed to be that bad. I Every mean, he looked completely different than what we saw at Ohio State. Who watched him at Ohio State, no matter how low your opinion of him could have been based off that tape, will tell you it was stunning how bad his rookie year was. You know who I think is doing a victory lap right now for Jeffrey Akuda? Do you remember that guy at the combine who told Akuda that he's sloppy or gets penalties? Do you remember that? And then like they Akuda told him like cut the tape on again and he was oh, remember he worked yeah. at like the score crow or something and then he was getting like flamed on Twitter. Oh yeah, he was yeah, he was talking about penalties. And, yeah, like, and then like no Akuda penalties. said cut the tape on again. That guy somewhere, I think he deleted his Twitter cuz he was getting absolutely lambasted on Twitter. Oh my god. That guy he's was having also, a victory like, lap. a scary looking human being. That was our fault too. We were the I know, we were the ones who took clip. that video. Yeah, yeah, so we should apologize to that guy. He was the one who asked the question, though. We took yeah. the video. We were back there taking the video. That's funny, man. Uh, no, he's not having a victory lap. Jeffrey Kuda, I think, plays again. He plays a lot better next year. I think he plays a lot better next year. There's just no if way. If he plays worse, like, <laughs> well, that will be a surprise. I had a couple here. I think Henry Ruggs, how bad, how poorly he performed this season with open, like, open season from a target's perspective. Like, Tyrell yeah. Williams was hurt. Brian Edwards couldn't find the field. Like you, 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 you had Nelson Aguilar there, and he ended up being a bigger player for them in that role than Henry Ruggs yeah. was. Yes, you had Darren Waller, but like this was his opportunity in a very in an offense with an accurate quarterback that throws a good deep ball. You expected him to come in and play a little bit better and and have more production. Like he was not schemed targets. Like he was not involved. Like purposely he had involved. The game winner. Don't don't hate. He on did the have game the game winner. winner. He did have the game winner, which is exactly what they should have been doing more of, though. Mm-hmm. Either I, way, I, I'm not okay. Again, I'm not that. Surprised in a bad way with rugs because it's Derek Carr. Like was Derek, Derek Carr was never going to throw him the ball. Yeah, like that was just not the route he likes to target. I mean, and they, but they, Nelson they, Aguilar they, they did more better to, down the field. I know. Yeah, that is. I guess the little surprising thing is that Aguilar took more of those more of that role. But yeah, I mean, I never expected Derek Carr and Henry Ruggs to like lead the league in deep receiving or you know deep yeah. deep yards. But I expected him to have a better role than Henry uh, than Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Like literally, when you're they were going into games where he did not have a target in, until like the fourth quarter. Like, how are you not scheming him targets, scheming him screens? Because you go back to his Alabama tape, he did not have a ton of deep receptions. You talked about that a ton in the draft class. Yeah. I mean, the, in the pre-draft process, why aren't you scheming him slants? Why wasn't he first read on more of these throws? Like, he was your guy. You drafted him first of all these receivers in this class. I think some of that, and I've heard some of this from people that. He was slow getting the offense, like slow understanding yeah. the offense and, and getting that connection yeah. with Derek Carr. You have to think he goes better in year two. Because if you are overall like not quick with every playbook, which no one is, I mean, not everyone is, and then you add in the no preseason and the Zoom yeah, classes in the offseason. Again, if you're thinking while you're running a route, you're going to run a shit route. Yeah.
The other guy I had here was Andrew Thomas, number one ranked tackle. He played better of late, but I expected him to hit the ground running at least a lot better than what he did out of the gate. Yeah, I can uh, get on board with that one. That one was very surprising. Now, if you take into account the fact that the entire Giants offensive line looked like they had never pass protected before. I mean, they fired their offensive line coach. They were disastrous in terms of dead last in the NFL. I mean, he played a lot better, too, after they fired the coach, too. (laughs) Uh, least He's surprising rookie coach. this season, on a good in a good way. Yeah. Oh, my I, I start. Um, it's it's easy to say Chase Young. I'll give you Chase Young in this one. To me, Antoine Winfield. Now he was a second rounder. How was that least surprising? If you just watched him at Minnesota, you kind of knew. Hey, if he stays healthy, he falls the second round because of multi, multiple ACL tears. He stays healthy. This guy is. An, impact football player at the safety position he's going to make big plays because of the way he sees the game and he's like a good athlete in his own right he's not you know exceptional in that regard but like he is just a solid all-around football player that is nfl ready and then comes into the bucks and yeah it's exactly that he had the big force fumble in that game this past weekend i mean that's the guy that played really well this season but i don't even think we've seen the best of him i, I think he's going to play a lot better next year too mm-hmm. like he is going to get a lot better in year yeah. two and he's already played really really well you said it already, but least surprising is Chase Young. We said he was going to be the highest graded rookie defender. He was. He's top five all time. That's smart we are. Top five all time among rookie edge defenders. Yeah. Um, Six highest grade edge in the NFL this year. It, I mean, he was he was outstanding this year. He was as advertised. And I don't even think we've seen the best from him. I still think there's opportunities for him to improve. Like he was winning a lot with like take. strength kidding. and athleticism. I think he can get a lot better. He next really year can. As well. That's the scary thing is he was kind of just. It was kind of just winning by the fact that he's a freak right now. Yeah. And there, it wasn't necessarily uh, – he doesn't have a full complement of moves. moves to throw at you. Now, the ones he does have are pretty damn good still. But If he can add that, I mean, he could be like Khalil Mack. Yeah. Like he it, could be... it, it, it was very reminiscent, in my opinion, of Khalil Mack's rookie year, where it's just like, man, he doesn't really have much as a pass rusher, but this guy is just a freak in the way he Yeah, because I remember Khalil Mack, people were really – not really upset, but I remember Raiders fans, and I'm, I'm from Oakland, California. Because, yeah, well, he had like two, two sacks. One he only sack. had one or two sacks. Yeah. His rookie season, like, oh, bust. man, he's a bust. But, like, he graded really, really well for PFF, and this was before I even was working at PFF. Yeah. But, then, like, you saw him just get better every single year and add moves every single year. If Chase Young – I would, I would say right now, if Chase Young's listening to the podcast, highly doubt it. But if he is, you need to shoot a text at Khalil Mack and like get together with that guy because I feel like he's gonna he's gonna put help you get on a path here. Yeah, let's let's see it. All right, there. And, and the other thing to note is there have been three guys who have really hit the ground running in the entire the of PFF grading the NFL that have really come in and look like stud pass rushers from day one. And I wouldn't even put Chase Young in that mix. He no. kind of was like hot and cold as pass rusher, but Von Miller. Alden Smith, Nick Bosa. Three guys. That's it. J.J. Watt didn't look like a stud pass rusher day mm-hmm. one. Aaron Donald was good. It was not Aaron Donald we know now from year one. It's very tough to do. If you look so, at the like five or six highest graded rookie edge defenders in the PFF era dating back to 2006, it's like Alden Smith, Von Miller, the Bosa brothers, Khalil yeah, I guess Mack, I, I and then Chase Joey Young. Also, Joey was very good as well, but he only played 12 games. But, but grading well, you know, people talk about dominator rating and like breakout age. If you play really well as a pass rusher along the edge in PFF system as a rookie, it is very likely that you're going to be able to pan, you know progress yeah. um, really really well. I mean, Alden Smith would have been a great if he didn't have the off-field stuff. Well, like, and and it's kind of why the D line grades are one of the most predictive. It's like if you come in and are beating NFL tackles because it's a very one-on-one situation, that bodes well. There's no like 
faking beating a guy one on one. And I think like, they're more they're more predictive because they're more binary. Like they're yeah. they're they're the events that you're tracking yeah. or charting are win and loss based and very binary. Well, in other areas where we're grading players like coverage and stuff, it's not as binary. It's not yeah. as simple as yeah, winning like and Patrick, losing a route. Patrick Queen, there's no there's no Chase Young not knowing his role on a play. Yes. And getting caught out of position. Like that's like extremely rare. That happens a lot at corner safety like linebacker. At linebacker there's like eight ways to lose and like two ways to win like at, at edge defender there's it. like there's a loss and there's a win like you beat him or you don't and i think that's because you are tracking and charting more mm-hmm. binary events more fixed events you can get more predictive data i've talked about this and i've tra- had this out conversation real dirty yeah. i've I had this it. conversation with um chris and neil before about uh getting advanced data in tennis there are fixed events in tennis that I think you can get more advanced data for. If you cut the court into like 16 quadrants and you looked at, you know, X players forehand into like a, a one or a two and how often those are being returned. Like you have such fixed events that you could get like some legit predictive ass data in tennis. I don't know if we're going to do it, but I think we could tennis isn't as popular as football, but I've thought about it before, but anytime you're looking at sports where there are these the fixed events, way. you can get some um, really good analytics. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's why football was late to the game. Like, baseball analytics took over baseball because that's the most fixed event sport in the world. Yeah. Like, it's pitcher to batter, set number of pitches. All this stuff is very, very fixed. While with football, it's such a free-flowing sport. Soccer, basketball, it's taking more time for people mm-hmm. to find valuable analytics, valuable ways to evaluate talent and players in those games. And well we're getting closer. We're getting closer. All right, that was a little bit of a rabbit hole. Let's get out of it. Least surprising rookie this season in a bad way. Or the least surprising, the least surprising rookie this season that played poorly, and we expected him to. Yes, there you go. I'm going to go with Austin Jackson, USC tackle. Another one where he got drafted. Everyone's like, "Well, he's not good now," but like you're hoping he's good later. And the reason that it's not surprising whatsoever was he he faced three guys his last season at USC that ended up getting drafted all season long. In those games, Bradley and I, Utah Edge. 45.3 pass blocking grade. Julian Aquara, Notre Dame edge, 53.7 pass blocking grade. And AJ Epinesa, the Iowa edge, 61.8. Like, the guys who he faced that were going to play in the NFL, and, like, that's why the Senior Bowl matters. That's why there's that clip I just saw the other day of Nick Casario saying, watch them play against other guys who are going to be in the NFL that then evaluate them on that tape. When you do that against other guys who are going to play in the NFL, it doesn't make you feel great about how they're going to play next year in the NFL. 53.3 pass block grade as a rookie, so unsurprising. Unsurprising. And now the Dolphins, like, O-line is, they're at a weird position going forward where you have three rookie starters, I want to say. and like Salman Kinley, Robert Hunt, and Austin Jackson. And Robert Hunt graded out okay, but not to the level to where you're going to put a pin in him and say, okay, that guy's going to be for sure starting to tackle the future. At that, and you had three guys who didn't grade out great. Like, if those guys are don't take that next step next year, it's still going to suck. And two is still going to have a tough time producing any offense behind that line. The pick I had here for um, least surprising rookie that played poorly and we expected him to was Damon Arnett. And I'll say this right now Damon Arnett is not a bust yet. He had to not have a good season, but we didn't expect him to have a very good season, especially playing in that Raiders defense where no one seemed to have, you know, good, a good season. I was going to say, you could even throw him in the next category which is going to be our worst situation. worst situation yeah i mean but. playing in paul Gunther's scheme like he was not put in a position to succeed he also is coming off a season where he didn't play a ton you know he didn't play at a very high level at ohio state goes into las vegas and has to go against some top flight corners in the nfl without a preseason again all that stuff we've talked about 
He did not play well this year. One of the lowest graded cornerbacks in the NFL. Jeffrey Akuda, I think, actually graded lower. Yeah, but he did. Damon Arnett, right with him. The two Ohio State guys did not come out and, and play well as rookies, and we didn't expect them to. But I still think Damon Arnett, his best football is ahead. He's not about same with Austin Jackson. I think Austin Jackson can get better, but I don't. I was not expecting Damon Arnett. I said it. I think before week one, Damon Arnett will either be one of the highest graded rookie corners because like he's going to have a ton of passes defense, or he's going to be like the lowest graded guy because he takes risks and and can get beat um, deep and give up explosive plays. And we saw that this year. Yeah, I never thought he might have been one of the highest graded I think he allowed one of the highest completion percentages against this year 81.3 percent against I think it was the highest of any outside corner this year which is not great but I feel like overall he's like a very boomer bust prospect yeah like you don't expect Damon Arnett to be like a consistent mid-tier corner like he's either going to be really good or mm-hmm. give up a ton of big plays and you saw a ton of big plays Prince this year Mukumar. what is that Prince of Mukumar? that was yeah. like Prince of Mukumara was the definition of your average corner in the NFL I don't think he he can be time. that. I think he needs to be great or he's going to just get completely toasted all the time. Yeah. All right. Best situation for a rookie this season. There are a number of guys who I thought went into very good situations, but it's difficult to say that anyone other than J.K. Dobbins, in my opinion, with that running game and just how much space it affords you, that's like running back heaven, in my opinion. That's like going back to college and running there again because – just don't need to do much average over two and a half yards before contact per attempt that's a lot in the nfl uh not a lot of offenses afford that to you and that's going to be the case there as long as lamar jackson's at quarterback so it's a good situation i went a little i like those i went a little I also beat path here honorable mentioned brandon Ayuk for that offense and just the targets he's going to get with his skill set are very favorable i mean brandon Ayuk to san francisco was yeah like Match made in heaven. I, we had him on the Everyone. podcast. Yeah. Or no, we have him on the podcast today. I was going to say, yeah, tease I it. forgot. I forgot. Tease we had the, this. I recorded the interview a couple of we, uh, a couple of days ago and forgot that we're teas- we we have it coming on today. After the rookie superlatives, we'll play the uh, interview with Brandon Ayuk. Uh, what, what a great teaser. Brandon yeah. Ayuk uh, was awesome. He talked about um, his work with Kyle Shanahan, his work with Wes Welker. You got to hear what this guy says about Wes Welker. Brandon Ayuk says Wes Welker could suit up for any NFL team and like put up a thousand yards. Like <laughs> He thinks Wes Welker's that good. And some of the stuff that he's saying is to tease it a little bit further is that Wes Welker will show you how to run a route with his film and then he'll take you out to the practice field and run that route and show you how to run it in front of you like it's like nuts what he's doing as a receivers coach for San Francisco not surprised that they've been able to develop some guys there and like Kyle Shanahan yeah. has, has has had some talented receivers in San Francisco the guy I picked here a little bit off the beat that's kind of like the why 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 the elite NFL players the elite of the elite you don't really want as coaches because Wes Welker probably with his physical tools had to know everything yes. inside and out about the wide receiver position to just get open. Randy Moss maybe, maybe didn't, you know? Yeah. But no, I, I, I've met, I think this is a common concept that like the best at their sport aren't always the best teachers. Like mm-hmm. Michael Phelps is probably not a great swimming teacher because the dude is just a freak. Yeah. Like same with like Brett Favre being like a quarterback's coach. It's yeah, like, dude, you, would not you had a Brett legitimate cannon. Coach. Like you had, you didn't, you didn't, he didn't, you know, there's that didn't interview where he doesn't defense. even know like the difference between like dime and nickel or something like yeah. that. Like he didn't have to know anything. Like he was just a freak. And I think with Wes Welker, like you said, he didn't have, he couldn't be that. So he had to know everything. Uh, the guy I picked here for best situation, Michael Mwenu, which was an interesting one, but Michael, like the New England Patriots and how they've developed offensive yeah. linemen over the past five, 10 years is really, really impressive. Isaiah Wynn, Shaq Mason, even Yeldy Froholt had played well when he had uh, snaps for them. I, I do think that they do a really good job of developing guys that come in that maybe aren't, you know, highly regretted prospects. Michael and Wayne, who wasn't went what the fifth or sixth round. Mm-hmm. And he not only played well, 
he played well at three different positions. Like he played both guard spots and tackle and graded really, really well for us this year. I think he was one of the top three graded offensive rookies this season. I mean, Michael and Wayne, you tip your cap to what he's done, but I also think he was in a very good situation with a with, with a team with a proven track record of developing young offensive yeah. line talent. And plus he goes to a place where they're using a lot of six offensive linemen, protecting him with the run game. Like he's not getting thrown like where Andrew Thomas was, where you're going empty pro True. 40 times a game. So, yeah. Worst situation for a rookie this season. I'm going to go with none other. I like this one. Than Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy. Not to protect my priors, but he actually got boned by his quarterback situation there. He didn't help out himself. 12 drops, not great. He'll clean that up. I have full faith in you, Jerry. But 59% of his targets were catchable this year. 77% for Justin Jefferson. 75 for T. Higgins. That's nuts. 75.2% for CeeDee Lamb. Jerry Judy was 16 percentage points below those guys. Even Henry Ruggs, who had the hot farthest average depth of target of any rookie wide receiver in the NFL 17.7 yards down the football field had 67.4% of his passes deemed catchable Jerry Judy only at 59 is an absurdly low rate like that is just getting missed left and who right who you throwing shade at um who was the who was the wide receiver that played quarterback that one game that's what I throw shade <laughs> Hinton? at Kendall Hinton Kendall Hinton yeah. I mean Drew Locke has not been an accurate quarterback since he entered the league he was one of the least accurate quarterbacks this season and Jerry Judy took that on the chin yeah. and I'm not surprised by that and um, again he can help himself out better he will he's not I mean he had five drops skills were never necessarily an issue at at Alabama so the guy I picked here and had two I had an honorable mention like you your honorable mention was Jeffrey Akuda, which I think is a good one I mean he was thrown into the fire I, I think his first game where he played he had to like cover Devontae Adams in the slot or something yeah, and it was, was just getting absolutely burnt but he also got burnt by Marquez Valdez-Scantling which that's a no-no you hate to see that did Marquez Valdez-Scantling catch it though that's the question you never Ooh. know yeah, All right. I think he did actually that game he got unlucky <laughs> I have two here. The honorable mention is Darnell Mooney of Chicago in a similar spot in that he was not throwing a lot of accurate targets and he was winning a very deep vertical route tree, kind of what they wanted rugs to do. And he was doing it at a high rate, but not getting a ton of accurate targets down the field. And then the other one I have here, and I don't know if Quinn's going to like this or not, but hear me out. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow went to an offense that had a receiving core that was vastly overrated. I can't tell you how many times I went on a Bengals radio hit after they drafted Joe Burrow. And they said, well, this, this receiving course, Pretty good. Tyler Boyd. AJ, AJ Green, Green, dude. You just got to get him Higgins, involved early. John Ross, maybe he's something. Like, there were people this offseason, before the season. Said John, John Ross. Ross could, everyone's talking themselves into John Ross. That's why. Even people, people were even talking themselves into Auden Tate. Like, it's like, okay. Okay, that it was got, too far. It got to a point where I thought, originally, when they drafted Joe Burrow, I was like, this receiving core is better than maybe people think. And then it got to a point where I was like, oh, my God, you guys are overrating it. They're not that good. Yeah, it was that Joe Goodbury, the Bengals guy, had tweeted that picture with the Bengals five wide and says, show me a better... Five. Which is your your and your I was high. like, oh my, like, like I don't even think he's got like, a little out of hands. Tyler Boyd is the best receiver on that team. Maybe T Higgins overtakes that, but like Tyler Boyd plays in the slot, and like if you don't have two outside guys that win consistently, you're, you're not going to have know. a good receiving yeah. core. I'm sorry. Yeah, everyone thought AJ Green was going to be AJ Green again, and AJ Green was maybe one the of worst the worst AJ Green we've AJ, seen. Uh, worst AJ Green was one of the worst like outside receivers in the NFL, like full stop. Um, and then people thought John Ross was going to actually know how to run the offense this year which after three like fool me thrice jokes on i mean the off-field me. stuff we've heard about john ross that we probably can't speak to I, i'm not surprised oh could, can i say the one john ross story? i don't think you can okay i think we have to keep that one underneath i don't know that one's I'm, not like 
When I don't like had, it. Whenever, don't he like gets, it. whenever he gets out of the NFL, we can tell. Yeah, yeah. When he gets story. out of the NFL, that's fair. You don't want to hurt. I mean, this guy's still trying to make it in the league. Yeah. Um, but the, I didn't. In, in this whole conversation about Joe Burrow being in a bad situation, I didn't bring up the offensive line. This team was starting Bobby Hart and like yeah. a freaking literal turnstile, a carousel of candidates on the interior offensive line. The only constant was Trey Hopkins. Like both guard spots, they were just flipping back and forth. I don't know who could block for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it is actually. I flip my vote. I go Joe Burrow too because he. It, tore his ACL his situation yes his situation cost him so that, those are the first two items and then the third one being that Zach Taylor is still a very young offensive play caller and you can't Dude, be that's... super impressed with what he's done so far as a head coach from a play calling perspective just say I, it. just call it what it is just say it well I don't know what to say what are you trying to get me to say Quinn I, we, I won't say it either <laughs> <laughs> I think with Zach Taylor I think he's built a very good culture. Everyone I've talked to about Cincinnati Bengals and that what? roster. Yes. Wait, you're lying. No, I, I swear. Everyone I've talked There's to. There's those articles about their culture and that the veterans hate them. And no, I think I he mean, was creating Carlos culture Dunlap. where he wanted to push the veterans out. But I feel like the young players do respect him. That's what I've heard. Maybe not I don't know, then. man. Some of that, my source on that was Solomon Wilcox, former Bengal. My thing is, he has no track record of success whatsoever. Yeah. If you're not bringing over Sean McVay's actual offense, like if you aren't running the exact same thing Sean McVay did, you are not why they hired you. And he's not running the exact same thing Sean McVay did. I mean, he's trying to do a combination of that and like what they ran at LSU. Like, they, I mean, they, it was. It's yeah. tough. It's hard it, it to watch. sounded like he just like turned over the play calling to Joe Burrow is what almost what it seemed like. Yikes. It's like, hey, Joe, what do you like most? Oh, empty? Oh, we're going to run empty 50 times a game. Then. With my offensive you know? line? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, let me do whatever you like. Imagine running any play. of their tight ends on a route as often as they did this year. Like, they they ran tight ends on a route way more often than they probably should have. I mean, I, I think you got to keep a lot of those guys yeah. at the block next year. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you got to know your personnel better than it. I don't know. Yeah. The other thing, too, though, I think you, you brought it up a little bit there, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but... You have no track record. <clears throat> you said you have no track record of success. No previous track record of sex. success. Unless you count his stint as the UC offense coordinator where they had the 123rd ranked offense in the country. No, I don't. Let's count just that. say it. He's not a very good coach. That's what I was insinuating. <laughs> That's I like it, Quinn. He's I not like a good coach. He was like sitting over there. I didn't want to say steaming. it. I didn't want to be the asshole, but like. Here we are. It's just. Bengals I mean, fan out here hurt. But I, here, so here, what I was trying to get at is no previous track record of success. That's going to be already very difficult to create buy-in. Something we've talked about with all the successful coaches in the NFL have buy-in from their players. You create that through winning or developing a culture that people want to play for. Your best players want to play for. He does not have that buy-in from winning so far. Yeah, you better be, be like creating Matt it Patricia. somewhere else. You got to be like, I picked that ball off in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah I mean, you, you have to have something though. Like, no, I mean, no, Robert Salah is not going to win twelve games next year, but I think you can expect him to have buy-in because just from what we've heard from players that have played for him, like, yes. I want to die for this guy. Yeah. I will go to war with Robert Salah every single week. Are people saying that about Zach Taylor? I haven't heard it yet. Quinn's not saying it. I mean, does just like if you if you watch a press conference. It's not surprising, though. We'll see. What would you think of the Arthur Smith video? Did you see the one? <laughs> Arthur Smith saying like he's Molinari. excited to join Atlanta. It was the most monotone thing I've ever seen. Rise up, Atlanta. That was, that was brutal. I'm super excited to uh, come to Atlanta. Uh, my family moved to Atlanta. Like, go Hawks or something like that. Not go Hawks. Go Falcons, something like that. Oh. All right. We got to get through these superlatives here. Most likely year two breakout. I'm going to go with a guy who was unfairly lampooned earlier in the season or written off Isaiah Simmons of the Arizona Cardinals he was a different player over the second half of the year he looked like he could actually a playmaker 
everyone just remembers that week one game where he couldn't cover an angle route, 70 yards to the house. It happens. Against the Niners? Against the Niners. Happens. That did not happen, though, the rest of the year. Was a much better player, I think, year two. In that defense, you see a much different player. My guy is LaVisca Chanel Jr. with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Ready to light it up. Urban Meyer using him in that Curtis Samuel role. People are already, you know, the fantasy community is losing their minds with LaVisca Chanel and the opportunity he might have in Jacksonville next year. I'm excited about him, too. Because you saw late in the season... I mean, he was getting scheme targets. LaVisca Chenault Jr. was getting schemed more targets consistently in like opening game script than Henry Ruggs could dream for. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that speaks to the type of player he is and how excited they are about LaVisca Chenault Jr. They're using him in the backfield. They use him in the slot, use him outside, and they found ways to get him the football. Good in contested catch situations. That's the underrated piece about LaVisca. Like, ball skills were there. He's an athlete, yes. If he can stay healthy, which he has been, I really do like LaVisca Chanel Jr. as a breakout game. And that is the thing. Everyone's like, oh, what's Urban's offense? What's he bringing to the Jaguars? His offense, the tenet of his offense, is get the ball to my best players. That's the tenet of his offense. Hard to look at that offense and not think that you want the ball in LaVisca Chanel's hands more. So it probably will get there. I also think looking at what Urban Meyer has done over the years at Ohio State is he's been very receptive to changing things in his offense to get to to identify new best players and and no yeah that's what i'm saying like there is no one offense yeah it's not one thing he runs which the best offense coordinators the best play callers do that like they say hey this is this is where i roster strengths Mm -hmm. this is how i can win football games because talent ultimately trumps all at the end of the day like you still have to have it there's no faking talent yeah an honorable mention i added here was Derek brown who played a lot better down the stretch he had a very bad start to the season was getting bullied by richie incognito gabe jackson Ryan yeah, Hudson early raiders game was tough it was ugly but i think he played a lot better down the stretch yeah. he was way better of a pass rusher than we really expected down the stretch I mean, he had like i think three total pressures and like multiple games down the stretch of last season i think you're going to see a better Derek brown next year as well guy who grades better than 60 better than 70.0 overall most likely year two regression. This one is obvious. This one is the most obvious. I'm going to get hated on for this. No, but, but it's so obvious. To... It's very obvious. Justin Herbert, charge quarterback. I was talking to Bruce Gradkowski, and he agreed with the take. He's like, if he's like, when when fans come back, like, and it gets loud on the road, like, I don't think I don't think Justin Herbert's going to be the same guy. Wow. Because that's was kind of like one of his biggest issues at Oregon, and. That's gonna it almost just has to. And because, like I said, in the most surprising, he was a different guy than we even saw at Oregon. He had a 75.1 passing grade under pressure. The highest in the NFL. Highest we've ever seen from a rookie. He was never even close to that high, even at Oregon. His grade last two years under pressure at Oregon, 58.2 and a 48.8. He was bad under pressure, like most people are. And for him to do that in year one... It's just like we've seen it. Passing no one grade under that. pressure is one of the more volatile stats year yeah. over year that we track. I mean, that's what that's what so. passing performance under pressure like that's a part of regression. He was also one of the highest grade re- passers on third down, which mm-hmm. is again another area that's very volatile, bound for regression. And I think a good you have a good point in that when fans come back and, and this this league is different, it's going to change what Justin Herbert could do. But how much would that suck for Herbert that he has this outstanding rookie season? He's probably going to win offensive rookie of the year in a season where there was nobody in the stands. And then when the stand, when fans come back, say he does regress and doesn't play as well, people are always going to bring up like, yeah, he could do it with nobody in the stands, but he sucks when everybody's around him. Like, that's going to be a terrible narrative for Justin Herbert. I hope that's not the case. Here's my take. Justin Her- Herbert is not going to play as well under pressure next year. Justin Herbert is not going to play as well on third downs. But I do think he gets better in some other areas in, in year two. Like, he will improve from a clean pocket in some areas.
areas. I think they that offense should get better with the new coaching staff that they're bringing in. I think Justin Herbert gets better in some areas. He was worse in this year, but also regresses in these more volatile bits. And you're going to find a quarterback somewhere in the middle of that that's playing for the Los Angeles Chargers. He was the 27th highest graded quarterback from a clean pocket last year. I think that gets better. Insane. It's bad, but like, I mean, that's just like an insane sort of split dichotomy. Yeah. 27th. Yeah. Man. Wow. Like you have to hope that gets better. And I think it will. And then how much he regresses under pressure will be the interesting conversation we have. I put in here Justin Jefferson. You looked at ESPN has a stat about yards, you know, separation created above expectation. He did not rank as highly as some of the other oh, talented yeah, yeah. receivers this year. But I, I think that that's part of it. But also, I mean, he had such an outstanding season. 77% right? catchable target rate is very high. Yeah, I don't think you're going to continue to see that. I, I think... I don't know. It's interesting. Justin Jefferson is still going to be a very talented receiver. Mm-hmm. Very, very good one. But it's, he's not going to, like, next year get 1,600 yards. You know, you're not going to see him continue to, like, break out in that regard. But I think that, that's me forcing it. The I obvious say, answer is... There's not is a over. lot of regression candidates, like, when there's not a lot of guys, like, playing at a high level. Yeah. Like, like just, you have to choose chance. between the two, like, offensive rookie of the year candidates. Maybe Tristan Wirfs, but I don't think that guy's regressing either. Maybe, like, a running back. Maybe... James Robinson. James Robinson. Be a good one, but yeah. Best value pick... I think you have the right one, and I have a good runner-up. Ooh, actually, I kind of like yours. Fuck. From I'll a switch. value perspective. I'll switch mine. I'm going to go Legereus Sneed. You're a piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> the Chiefs cornerback, because he's awesome. He's actually, I will stake my reputation. I, I shouldn't say stuff like that. But I, I, I will put my Can money on him being a good cornerback in the NFL for the next eight years. Like, he is... I. His rookie season was that impressive to me because he wow. did it from the outside. He did it from the slot. And now, again, another guy who went to the situation that is ideal for him. But they put him at like, but that's scouting. Like getting the guy who is right for your scheme is scouting. He is exceptional in press coverage, whether it was in the slot or outside. And you saw that this year. And we're still seeing that. And we'll probably see that in this upcoming weekend's game. Yeah. Legarius Need was originally my pick, but fine. Fourth rounder. Played 100. The highest grade corner, the highest grade rookie cornerback. And he only played 460 total snaps. Yeah. I mean, he, he was injured for some of this year and like experienced a lot of the same growing pains that other rookie corners did with no preseason, all that stuff, and still played at a very high level um, this season. The other pick that we have here is Michael Nwenu, who, six rounder, started at left guard, right, ta- right guard, and right tackle, and was one of the highest graded rookie offense, one of the highest graded rookie offensive linemen we've ever seen, and also one of the highest graded overall linemen this season. Like the dude came in and balled out for the Pats. Mm hmm. That that one, yeah, that's who I had initially had. But I think ultimately, if you're going to be running a pass happier offense, he ends up a guard. But mm-hmm. you still got a damn good guard. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't think there's any any doubt in your mind about that. And for a six rounder, pretty this absurd. is the scariest one. We're gonna finish the podcast with this one. This is this, and then we'll jump to the Brand Ayuk interview, of course. Um, this is the scariest one because you don't want to call anyone a bust after a rookie season, but. If you had to highlight one, I do think this one is very good. I couldn't pick another player than you. Biggest bust as a rookie this season. Yeah. Like, I'm not there – are, there are guys drafted higher that I think their teams would obviously regret. Like, I think the Giants would love Tristan Worst. Right? Like, a duo, teams would love a do-over at their same position, the Giants being one of them. It's probably say probably the Raiders would love, you know, Justin Jefferson at this point. Like, there are teams that probably – they could have a do-over would draft someone else. But this one – I, I, it's difficult to see me see this getting salvaged, and it's Isaiah Wilson of the Tennessee Titans, pick number twenty nine overall, 
a massive, massive reach on almost universally agreed upon. Like one of the biggest reaches, according to the consensus board, which yeah. is built with like 69 analysts or whatever it is. Starts, shows up on the COVID list. Has COVID when he shows up. <laughs> Tries to infect the team. Uh, gets Stop. a trespassing warning at Tennessee State a I few forgot about that one. days later. A DUI only a few weeks after that. Unable to beat out Dennis Kelly, journeyman offensive tackle, for playing time. And then in week 13 is suspended for the Browns game for undisclosed reasons. I mean... Yikes. Yes. Big yikes. Like, that's one of the... Oh, he doesn't make the roster next year. He only played three of, snaps that's, a, that's that kind of path. Yeah, three snaps all year. If if he's not on the Titans next year, no one will be surprised at this point. That's an How awful, How unfortunate awful is that? Go. I mean, you have to yeah. – I'm trying to skew this a little positive here. You have to hope he gets healthy mentally, on and off the field healthy. Yes. And you hope that – Someone in his ear just saying, hey, yes. you're like about to lose millions of dollars. Let's, 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 let's turn the page, you know. Rookie year wasn't great. And if – so you can categorize busts in a handful of ways. Like biggest bust, this guy's never going to be good. I don't think you want to do that at all after a rookie season. But – Biggest bust in terms of like what you wanted from him this year and what you got, that is a bust. Three three snaps and all that off-field stuff, a suspension in week 13, yeah. like that is bad. Like the, you did not draft him for any of that. You drafted him to potentially play this year mm-hmm. if he was healthy. That's a concern. I didn't have another one there. I mean, you could argue that like Ruggs has been a bust to start, like he has not produced at the level you thought, but I don't That's think like, There are teams that obviously would have do-overs, mm-hmm. like obviously would go that happens every year. different guy. At the same position, where like you're like, okay, I picked the wrong one at that point. But that that, again, that happens. I wanted to year. use this as an opportunity to say, when we're talking about the bust conversation, Damon Arnett is not a bust. Patrick Queen is not a bust. No. Henry Ruggs is not a bust. Yeah, Austin no. Jackson's not even a bust. No, yeah. Like Austin, these yeah. guys will. You you have to give more time. You can't say all of them will get better and will be more productive, but you have to give them more time. Especially, that's in every year with sixty thousand fans in every stadium. But this year, even more so with mm-hmm. COVID and how that's impacted development for young players, I think you don't call anyone a bust right now, really. But Isaiah Wilson right now, I think if you had to put a candidate in there, is, is a worthwhile one, that's for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for the main bit of the podcast here. We're going to jump to the Brandon Ayuk interview next. It's a very good one. Make sure to tune in. Let's dive in. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro Subscription Access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is none other than San Francisco 49ers rookie wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk, former Arizona State wide receiver. How are you doing, man? Enjoying the California weather, I see. Yes, sir. Most definitely. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great, man. It's great to have you on the podcast. You have had one of the better rookie seasons of any receiver in this class. Obviously, Justin Jefferson unfairly lit the NFL on fire this year and kind of put all of the other rookie wide receivers in a in a tier below him, breaking the rookie receiving yards record and those things. But you equal, you know, also had a very productive season in your first year, even while 
battling injuries, different quarterbacks in San Francisco. Let's tie a bow on this rookie season. I know you've said in other interviews, you've done nothing yet. I've, I've, I've achieved nothing yet. But positively talk about your season. What do you think you learned in your first year in San Francisco? What do you think you did well as your rookie year in your rookie year in the NFL? Um, I think just with everything going on and all the things that happened this year, um, just being able to stay in tune with what's going on and continue um, to just try to play football to the best of my ability um, with those things going on. And um, one of the main things coming in, I was a little bit nervous about the, the system that we were running in the offense um, that Kyle has, but I feel like I, I picked it up fairly well. Um, and, and I think it showed. Let's talk about Kyle Shanahan's offense a bit. I think a lot of, you know, media pundits and people that follow the NFL talk about very complex scheme. He gets his receivers open. The run concepts he runs are some of the most diverse in the NFL, but he schemes wide receivers open. It's a big thing he talks about, and he wants guys that can make plays after the catch. How do you think your role changed from Arizona State, where a lot of people, Daniel Jeremiah, another draft analyst here at PFF, talked about you didn't run a ton of different routes at Arizona State. Your role was somewhat limited compared to what NFL offenses run. How much did your role change going from the Sun Devils to the San Francisco 49ers? It changed a lot. Um, I went from um, Arizona State, I pretty much played on the left side of the field at X and stayed there. Um, but when I got here, I moved all over the field from playing um, on the left, playing in the slot, playing outside, uh, moving all over around the field. Um, so that was running a lot more, a lot more routes. Um, like I said, running routes from, from the slot, running, running routes from outside um, and just pretty much running every single route. <laughs> and you're still getting better as a route runner. You were a running back early in your collegiate career or in high school. When did you make that transition full-time to wide receiver? Uh, my freshman year of junior college was my first full-time season as uh, as, as wide receiver. When are we going to start seeing Brandon Ayuk in the backfield? Have you talked to Shanahan at all about maybe getting some running back reps here? <laughs> no, I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, you know, you, you're not, not being exclusively used as an outside receiver, getting moved into the slot. I'm sure a lot of that improved route running and expanded route tree. You have to credit a lot of that to Wes Welker, the San Francisco 49ers wide receivers coach, longtime NFL wide receiver. What impact has he had on you? Because I know right after you were drafted, you had an interview with the San Francisco 49ers. And one of the first things you brought up is I'm excited because I got this guy, Wes Welker, on the sidelines with me. How, how much of an impact did he have on you? this year so much of an impact uh it's been great having him um just having a coach that can still he can still do it right now if he wanted to so uh, i know a couple <laughs> times this year he, he's he's put on he put his cleats on and um can still move but just having him um he could he could not only tell you what to do and what it's supposed to look like but he can pull up film of him doing it previously um versus different looks um so it, it's just it's just amazing to have a person like that being able to coach you um, and just walk you through things and show you what to and tell you what to expect um, and how to be different different looks. Um, but it's been it's been great having having pretty much a Hall, a hall of Fame receiver um, being able to coach me. So it's been special. We need to get footage of uh, Wes Welker in practice putting on the cleats and, and showing it up. I'm sure there would be some NFL teams calling to get him on the get him on the football field here field here here pretty soon. That's also a humble flex. Yeah, let's let's see some route concepts here. Oh, there's me doing it perfectly. That's a great use by uh, Wes Welker here. I'd also look, <laughs> like to look at. <laughs> I'd also like to look at talk about some of the. You know, top matchups you had this year. You, you know, you move around a lot of bit. You know, played mostly on the left side, but also moved into the slot. Who were some cornerbacks you faced this year that gave you some fits that you felt like really you know helped you grow as a route runner as a player in the NFL? Uh, Richard Sherman, Jason Verrett. <laughs> good, good call. Emmanuel Mosley. 
those well, there there, there was a, there was a lot of guys that, that I played against this year. Um, just being able to go against those a, a bunch of different players, um, whether that's in the slot or outside, um, that I was able to take notes from and jot those down and and watch it on film and go back and um, excited to get those matchups again the, this year. There's a couple of them, a couple of them that I saw on our schedule that I'm ready for. So looking at your season specifically, it was kind of this week seven where a switch flipped. You started to receive a ton of more targets in the offense, had a lot more production from week seven onward. I think you had, you know, ten, seven targets, 10, 11, nine, 16, 13. Was that a focus by Kyle Shanahan or was that you kind of like finally coming into your own in the NFL? Do you feel like a switch kind of flipped in week seven? Um, I think that was just kind of just, um, I'm not sure exactly why that was. It was just pretty much, um, situational, I believe, just with the guys who went down. Um, uh, I was, just, I had a role, um, and that role kind of changed a little bit when um, the situation changed. So I'm not sure exactly why that was, um, but my thing coming into the season was I'm not sure how many opportunities I was not I was going to get or where my opportunities would be at, but I'm just trying making the most of those opportunities that I did get. So, um, yeah. What what's the competition like between you and Debo Samuel? Similar players, very good after the catch, you know. And, and Debo Samuel kind of built like a running back in his own right and had a similar collegiate career as you did. Um, what what do you? What's the competition like between him, you and Debo Samuel? And how much did you learn from him this season? I learned a ton from him. Uh, our thing is um, is to go get paid. We want we want to, we want to both get paid. We want to want to be um, great players in this offense um, and just do and do good things together. So. Our main focus right now is to get healthy this season um, and just um, bring a new attitude, new approach to, to the team this year um, and just boost our boost our whole entire group. So let's let's end on this and, and look ahead to this offseason. I know you've said that you want to work on your body this offseason, try and get right, try and stay healthy. I know you battled some injuries this season. What exactly does that look like? Are you setting any goals, any weight goals, any testing goals, or is it really just an overall approach to this offseason about getting healthy and staying and staying healthy? Um, I think for any every football player, it's a little bit different for everybody. Um, but everybody knows when they feel when that feeling that you get when you're in tip top shape, when you feel fast, you feel explosive, um, you just feel right in everything that you do. So that's pretty much the main goal is to um, realign my body, make sure everything's lined up, get stronger, um, cut down on body fate, body weight, um, faster, stronger, um, and just get back that feeling of um, I know that I'm at my tip top shape and, and ready to play the best football that I can. Can't wait to see it next year, man. Really appreciate your time. Have a good one. Brandon Ayuk, going to get healthy this offseason, going to continue to work with Wes Welker, and going to dominate next year. I'm excited for him in San Francisco. I mean, man. he's one of the more hashtag fun to watch rookies this season. I thought he, he played, he outperformed my expectations. I was not as high on him as you were. And I think the biggest thing, and we talked about this in the interview, was he, he admitted to it. I did not run a ton of routes at Arizona State. No one yeah. knew. And he was a Juco transfer. I did not run a ton of routes at Arizona State. And San Francisco, I run a shitload. And I look a lot better doing these. And mm-hmm. I think you see that. And I think he's going to get better in year two as well. Yeah, and I feel like if I had Wes Welker in my year, I could like, you know, Stop. I could make some noise from the Stop. side. I knew you were going to say some shit like that. If Wes Welker was coaching me up, I'd probably throw up a thousand. <laughs> like uh, Quinn could probably get, you know, 400 bucks. In that four, offense? Not 400 bucks, 400 I, yards. I really was going to say when we had the Bengals conversation earlier, like, the in talking about how they like couldn't separate and stuff i do like legitimately believe if you put me out there on the field with that group i would not be the slowest one <laughs> that's incredible i i mean is that crazy i don't yes. know like <laughs> that might be crazy i don't know dude <laughs> i don't know wait we, we could organize we including that. We tight could ends? we're including offensive linemen okay if you're including offensive linemen tight ends like if 
if Jonah Williams is asked to run a route, maybe. Might, yeah. Might beat him. Could you create separation against Jonah Williams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair. Fair. I like the confidence. Oh, yeah. That's going to do it for the podcast. Make sure you are rate, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And it's the mailbag episode tomorrow. Mailbag episode tomorrow. Get your questions in. We already have a lot. We have so many. It's going to be tough to fit these in again. But, like, we have a lot of questions. But get yours in. The best way to get your question in is to leave it in a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Any other way, it's going to be tough. I was going to say, we need, like, a hierarchy of question answering to give to the people so that they know, hey, if we do it here, that's our best chance. Mm -hmm. So it's Apple Apple Podcasts. Then after that, I don't know if you can leave reviews anywhere else can you on spotify i don't think so youtube kind of youtube comments is i would would say i would say apple podcasts then the highest voted youtube comments. the highest voted youtube comments then twitter replies then twitter dms and then ig dms (sighs) then smoke signals (laughs) something along those lines find your question in yeah i feel like we'll just DMs. I, don't, I think I think those are easier to keep track of than replies. DMs are easier than replies. That's okay. for sure. So you guys are just fishing for Instagram DMs now. Smart. Uh, awesome. You're private on Instagram. I know. Yeah, I need um, to turn that on. Yeah. Let it, let it loose. Show the show all the half nude photos of you. <sighs> They're great. They really are great. Man, what a podcast! Uh, until tomorrow, man. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two point grass.